the talk I'm going to give tonight uh, was helped along by a couple of friends that don't actually know that they were helpful. Uh, one friend, Cornelia, helped me with the title. Um, the title is Leaning into the, into the Still Point. Leaning into the Still Point. <laughs> Came up in the group today. And the other friend who helped is uh, a friend named Jerry, who's been on many, many of our retreats. And he's been kind of following along my sort of Dharma teaching evolution. And after nearly every retreat, he would say, Sharda, why don't you try talking without so many notes? You know, why don't you just see what might come if you don't use so many notes? And I said, yeah, yeah, it's a great idea, but, <laughs> you know, it's not that easy. And so five more years went by, and then he suggested it again. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, not so easy. So another five years went by. And so for some reason tonight, I feel a little bit more prepared <laughs> to see what might come forth without so many notes. So, I haven't really prepared a talk, (laughs) but I have some sense of where I wanted to lean, and that is into the still point. One of my other friends, who I was uh, living with in England, was getting involved with a, um, a workshop, an organization, that used the symbol or the, the, the puzzle of the nine dots to kind of to kind of point to that which needs to be done for us to move into more possibility for ourselves and our lives. And I don't know if some of you know what this nine dot puzzle is, but you if you have nine dots on a piece of paper, just nine three rows of Three, three dots. The task of the puzzle is to have four connecting, have four lines. You can only use four lines, and those lines have to go through all the dots. And they have to be connecting. You can't lift your pencil off the page. So it has to be four straight lines, continuous and connecting, that have to go through all the dots. Well, if you've ever tried to do it, it's extremely challenging. It just doesn't seem possible to make that line, those lines go through all those nine dots. And the trick is that in order to achieve that goal, in order to have all the the dots be intersected, you actually have to go outside of the box. So the nine dots look like they form kind of a box. And the only way to do it is to have one of the lines go completely out of the box to an imaginary dot, something that the mind wouldn't necessarily think about. Because what happens is that we get rather stuck in the box of our own minds. We, we try to find solutions within the box. And in order to break free or come out of that kind of 
uh, container, or often feels like like a prison, (laughs) that we're caught in, we have to somehow find the way out of it, go out of it. And so since uh, he and I were talking about that this, this summer, this idea of the nine dots just kept going around, going beyond the nine dots, the nine dot puzzle. So today, in the, tonight in the talk, I want to kind of explore this getting outside the box, which is the only place that we're going to start to have some sense of what it means to lean into the still point. Because if we stay within our usual framework, our conceptual framework, we're not going to know that. We're not going to know that. So I thought that the only way that I could talk about that tonight was to go outside of the nine dots. (laughs) So hence, I had to find a whole different form tonight to be able to talk about that, because if I stayed within my usual habit and used my usual strategy to point to something that is outside of what is known, certainly what is known to me, then I'm not sure that I would have been able to convey what I was trying to convey. I have to somehow go outside. And so... Of course, this feels like a risk, but yet there's the possibility for something fresh to happen, maybe some kind of surprise, which is where we really find that which we're looking for. So if we, if we just stay caught up in these usual habitual ways that the mind goes round and round and round, I'm not sure that we're going to find something that is going to feel more gratifying or more satisfying or more fulfilling in our lives. So this box, you know, we have the nine dots, but yet it seems like we have this box, we might call it a a black box, (laughs) that we call the thinking mind. And this black box holds all of our beliefs, our assumptions about things, our ideas, our concepts. It holds the past. It holds the concepts of our future. It holds the way that we perceive the present reality through our our frameworks. And until something happens, until somebody says to us, you maybe you need to do it differently. You maybe something has to be loosened up. Maybe something has to shake up. Because if you keep going around and around and around in that framework, as I said in the last talk, you just repeat the same things again and again and again and expect different results. Maybe that's going to lead to insanity rather than sanity. So in the practice in the practice here, in a way, that's what we're asking you to do. You know, to, in the language of the, of the Dharma, we say to let go. Let go. Let go of that repetition of thought. Let go of the, the usual stories, those, the old stories, the old, old stories. 
those stories that we get caught up in and lead us back into the far past, sometimes recent past, and then lead us into the, the future and then the, the far future. Because if we stay caught up in that continuum, it's unlikely we're going to be able to find that which is still. Because in that continuum of past, present, and future, that's moving. We're moving in time. And the mind, in a way, has to move in time, move into the past, move into the future. And we can kind of feel like we're being pulled. There can be almost an energetic response to the movements of our own minds. We feel like we're being pulled into the past and all the difficulties of the past. And we can feel like we're being pulled into the future, almost like like we're toppling forward energetically in our, in our bodies. We're toppling forward. And we're not really so much centered in our being in the here and now. Sometimes, when we do get more centered in our bodies and we feel more grounded, we still might experience the mind moving quite a lot, and we may still experience the energy, our energy getting quite caught up in the mental realms. And so we can still feel sometimes quite dizzy or lightheaded or sometimes constrained or stressed. Uh, lots of pressure from the stress of, of what's gone on in the day, in the weeks, in the months, what we're concerned about and worried about in the future. And we can feel that, that stress and the pressure and the pain of that moving through our heads. And of course, that does have the energetic response, the feeling response in the bodies. And we do feel the pressure of that, the burden of that. So the question is then about the still point. Where is the still point in all of that? When I say the word still point, and I was reflecting on this earlier, I have this deep intuition that each person has a sense of what I mean by that. Now people will say, oh, I, you know, I really want to know that. I really want to capture that. I want to have that. I want to, I want to have that more in my life, that sense of stillness, that sense of ease. And yet I think that each and every one of you have a sense of that in your being. Because this is something that is true about each of us that inner stillness, that inner silence, that is there for each of us, but we lose touch with it. We lose contact with it. And so we come to the practices, we come to meditation, we come to the teachings, because we we long for that. We want that. We want that, that stillness, that silence within our own being. We want to know that, have access to it. So as my friend said today in the group, she said, well, how do you find the still point? How do you find it? And as soon as you ask the question, how, maybe Christopher has said this already in this, um, in, up here, but as soon as you ask the question, how, two things come into play. 
One is time, a process, some process of getting from A to B to C to D. And the sense of I, or the sense of self, me. How do I get to the still point? Well, there's a couple of problems there. (laughs) Because one, you can't move from here to there when we're talking about still point. Because it's not about past, it's not about future, it's not about time, it's not about continuity, it's not even about being in that still point all the time, reaching some kind of state or place or location. Because all of that sets up something that's moving. <laughs> Something that's not still. Anytime we start to move from the past or even from the present into the future or from here to there, any of that sense of, of going somewhere or even doing something in time, that doesn't indicate stillness. The problem also occurs when we start to think about how I do it. Because I don't know if the stillness has a lot to do with me and what I'm doing or not doing. The sense of self or I or mine. Is it my stillness? Have I discovered the still point? So it seems that to really start to get more sense of this, of what are we really touching, what are we talking about, what are we pointing to would really be the more accurate way, when we're we're talking about stillness. Because it seems to me that it has something to do with the mind that isn't moving. The mind that isn't caught in the sense of going into the past, concerned about the present, which is also already bringing in some time because I'm concerned about what I'm doing now so that it'll be different in the future and I'll move, uh, I'll, I'll change the way I've done things in the past. So already we've started to move. And if I think that I'm not there yet, then there's the moving forward or the toppling forward into the future moment. So what happens if we drop the how, we drop the idea of having to get somewhere, and we just be quiet. (laughs) We just be quiet. What What we first touch when we're quiet, is silence. It's a kind of a silence. And this silence, we sometimes think of as still, this kind of very still, quiet, silent place. And it's easy to think that this is the still point. That somehow we have to stop all the activity of the the body, the physical body, 
or stop the activity of the mind and get to that no mind or thoughtless or quiet place in the mind where, where there are no more thoughts. So we can just experience this silence. And a lot of people think that about meditation. That's one of the um, misunderstandings about meditation is that somehow to find the stillness or to find that silence, we have to stop the mind. To stop all the thoughts. And sometimes through deep concentration practices and certain conditions of retreats, we can start to feel more of that silence. And many of you have experienced that here. And yet, it seems that even those times of silence come and they go. Sometimes the mind is quiet. Sometimes the mind starts to race. We see somebody, or we get a phone call, or we have our yogi jobs, or we leave tomorrow. We go back, not tomorrow. We leave the day after tomorrow. No, we're not setting that one up. (laughs) Day after tomorrow. And the activity starts to come in, the contact with our friends, with uh, getting in the car, speeding down the highway, all the activity, the energy starts to move back in. And that sense of silence in the mind, with the mind, with the thoughts, the energy and all that, the body moving, we don't feel very still, we don't feel very silent, and we can easily start to think that we've lost it. And we need to come back into a situation, whether it's our meditations at home, or going into nature, or coming back to retreat, and find that stillness again. This doesn't seem like a very useful practice, <laughs> you know, to find, to have to set up conditions in such a way that we are able to get still in ourselves. You know, whether it's retreat or meditations or whatever it is, it, I don't know if that's actually what is being pointed to, if what the teachings are talking about or pointing to. So it seems that it needs to be something that is not about this coming and going, here and there, me and it, this and that, because we're moving again. We're moving again. So this is when we have to go outside of the nine dots. (laughs) Because the nine dots is our mental framework. It's the mind moving, the mind thinking, the mind wanting to figure it out, the mind wanting to know. Well, how do you do it? What is it? But as soon as the mind starts to move, we pick up the question, we start looking for an answer. Where is it? So it can't be something about the mind the thinking mind, but something else. When we were talking about this a little bit earlier, I was reminded of a a metaphor that Joseph Goldstein, one of my first teachers, used in one of our very early retreats, and somebody who was in in the group actually must have been there, because he said, yeah, 1981. 
you know, when we were there in 1981. And uh, Joseph was using the example, he was using the examples, the example of sitting by the curb, watching the traffic go by. And the usual tendency might be to sit there by the curb and just watch the cars go by like this, you know. But that takes a lot of effort, you know, and a lot of energy just to keep swinging the head back and forth to watch the cars go by. He said, what if we, I got dizzy just then doing it as well, you know, just swinging my head back and forth. He said, what if we just sit still, keep our eyes open, look straight ahead, and just watch the cars go by? In fact, we would probably see exactly the same thing. All the cars would still go by our vision. But we're not moving. We're not moving. We're just there, steady, watching, being mindful, being present. Being present, eyes open, watching as the cars go by. That takes a lot less effort, you know, a lot less energy, just to sit there very still, very quietly, eyes open, just cars going by. And we can't hold on to each car. You know, as you if you if you if you try to catch each one in the vision from when they come in and watch as they go by and try to kind of keep it there, not let the car go, we have to let the next we have to let the last car go so we can be there for the next one. We have to be in a very steady state of presence and letting go. Just to notice each one as they come by and accept one each one as they're there. This requires a certain steadiness, a steadiness of presence or attention, but little effort, and it can be quite still. A lot of stillness in that place. So in a similar way in our lives, I wonder if much has to change if much has to change in terms of what's passing by, the cars that are going by, the cars in terms of the relationships and work and and pains in the body and uh, health issues and money issues and, you know, just all going by. All going by. I wonder if any of that really has to change so much or whether it's more about what changes over here, how we're changing our view, we're changing our perception, not interfering with that, the changing conditions, the outer conditions, the inner conditions. We're not just talking about the cars out there, but also the cars in here, you know, the mind states, the feelings, the thoughts, the emotions, the sensations the pains, the pleasures, the energy shifts, all that. wonder if all that has to change very much. But something else can be still. Something else within us is still. I 
I want to talk about, just tell you a little about this um, this vision quest that I did, uh, not this past summer, but the summer before. Probably there's some of you in here who have done that sort, this sort of thing. Um, I hear they're fairly popular in the western part of America. But I've been living in England over the last three years, and um, there's, all, there's not so much of that going on. So not quite as... Uh, Oh, I don't shouldn't say anything about England. I mean, it's <laughs> just ca- no. I'll just say California is a little bit more progressive in terms of some of the uh, things that that you're all involved in. <laughs> but the vision quest, I was so happy that there was one man who was organizing these vision quests, and he was organizing a four-day vision quest where there were about four of us who went out into the wilds. This is the wilds of England. (laughs) And the wilds of England (laughs) was about a 45-minute drive from where I lived into a place called the Moor, which is actually pretty wild. It's a very, uh, it's a totally uninhabited place. Very, very, um, I don't know how many miles it stretches for. um, Maybe about um, 100 miles in each direction. Very, uh, very beautiful um, lots of animals grazing there, wild horses, cows, sheep, um, uh, just everywhere you look, birds and all kinds of life and a lot of wonderful rock formations, just uh, a lot of, uh, what's there, 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 it was inhabited about 4,000 years ago and there's still medieval villages on the moor and you see the old circle villages and it has a very uh, powerful and sacred energy to it. And so we went out and um, it was about, uh, we're going to be out for four days, um, no food, uh, just taking water, not having any contact with any other human being for four days. And um, it was set up, it was all structured, I had to find my, my sacred spot and uh, uh, know that that's the place was going to, I was going to be and is going to protect me. And then there was the, the people at base camp who, in case I got into any trouble, there were ways that we could organize uh, getting some help. So, um, in England, you know, you know it rains a lot. You know, it's not, that's not um, a surprise. So I expected some rain. But for some reason, and I know, you know, there's a lesson in everything, um, when I went out in the morning, early morning, about six in the morning, it was raining. And for four days, it didn't stop. Rained, rained, rained. I think maybe once, once, one afternoon for about an hour and a half, there was a break, and then the rain came back. So here I was. We didn't have any tents. So it was just a tarp and a sleeping bag, and no food, and no fire, nothing. Um, and it's also a bit cold in the summer in England. Not warm, either. So a bit cold, a bit wet, <laughs> no food. <laughs> but I guess it was my attempt to go outside of the nine dots, <laughs> just to see what was possible here. So um, this was challenging. You know, also I want to say that, you know, the Buddha talks about going into solitude. 
And what we have organized here in the West over the, over the years that the Buddha Dhamma has been in the West, we've organized these retreats as a way that people go into solitude. But it's not really solitude. <laughs> I think when the Buddha was talking about going into solitude, he was talking about going into solitude because it's a whole different thing. It's a completely different thing. And some of you know this, and some of you have done it. But when you go out into a place that is completely away from any, seems like, civilization, the noises and the interactions, the people, and the, the, the sounds we hear all the time, the busyness, all of that, the, the comforts, the conveniences, and just put yourself on the land, it's a whole different thing. And I got a chance to experience that. So, on this retreat, or this quest, this pushed me into a place in myself that I had never gone before, even in all the retreats I'd ever done, because where it pushed me was into a level of dukkha. Dukkha. And now you all know what the word dukkha is, because Sally talked about it the other night. Suffering. You know, deep suffering in in ourselves is dukkha. But it pushed me into a place where I couldn't escape. There was no escape unless I decided, okay, this is enough. And I went back to base camp and uh, had some food, went into a tent and just said that was enough. But there was always that challenge there, always the challenge there. Let's see if I could stay with it, stay with it. So what I had to feel and what I had to experience, since there was no escape, there was nowhere to move to, there was no movement possible, I had to stay with the dukkha. And it just kept pushing me down and pushing me down. And it was raining and it was cold and my boots got sopping wet from the time I walked out to my, to my site. So the whole time I had very wet, cold boots. So anytime I wanted to go somewhere and I wanted to walk a little bit in the rain, I had to put on these wet, soggy boots. It was cold and I was hungry. And the second day I started getting stomach cramps and felt nauseous from no food and I was sick and I was just, it wasn't the way I imagined it would be. <laughs> so right into reality so the question I was asking myself (laughs) and it wasn't the one you think (laughs) like why am I here (laughs) the question I was asking myself was Where's the equanimity? Where's the still point? Where's that place of still point right in the dukkha? Is it possible to know that right here? And how is that, what shape does that take? Does it take the form of happiness, as the Buddha talks about? Does it take the form of contentment? fulfillment, satisfaction. What is that? What is that equanimity when the mind isn't moving? When the mind isn't moving from trying to find a way out, (laughs) asking myself why I got in here in the first place. You know, just this. Just this. What is that? What form does it take? How does that feel? What is that? 
And I just kept going deeper into it and deeper into it to see if it could even be called happiness. Is there any joy in this? (laughs) Where is the joy? And I just kept asking that and feeling into it. And at the time, I'm not so sure that a clear answer came. It was more just directing the mind, directing my mind back and directing my mind back so that it wouldn't move. And it really stayed right in that level of Dukkha, and that's the only word that that fits for that, that complete and utter dissatisfaction (laughs) that didn't let up. And certainly at times praying for the sun, you know, just praying for the sun, because the sun then would change it. The sun would give me the, the, the relief. But I kept looking for the relief in the Dukkha. Because that seemed to be the place to go. So I stayed with it, and I stayed with it. And by the, it was four nights, and by the uh, fourth day, before the fourth night, I did reach my capacity. I did start to think, okay, this is it. Three and a half days, no food, in the rain, in the cold, no tent. I thought, did pretty good. And the, you know, with the slugs, uh, you know, kind of <laughs> finding, <laughs> finding a nest in my hair at night, you know, waking up, you know, putting my hand on this, you know, and throwing the slug out. I thought the women in here would appreciate that. <laughs> so by three and a half days, I just had to walk and think, okay, maybe this was enough. Maybe this was enough. And I did go back down to base camp, and it talked to my to my uh, guide there, and it was really great. And he gave me a bowl of miso soup, and it was the best miso soup I ever had in my whole life. Never felt so much appreciation for a bowl of miso soup. And went into a tent and put a blanket around me, and I was in nir- nirvana. <laughs> I was so happy. And that's where I spent the last night and until the next morning. So in the reflection, what I really got was that there is dukkha. (laughs) 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 And there's no way out. You know, and, and it's, it's such a fantastic revela- revelation because the mind will do everything it can to find its way out. The mind will run and run and, is, and look for every kind of escape and every kind of, 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 of hiding place and everything to find the way out of that dukkha, to find its way out of the dissatisfaction. And there's no way out. There's no way out except unless we find the still point. And the still point is that not moving from it. Not moving from it when it's there. And it also means not moving from the joy when it's there. It doesn't mean that we just stay in the dukkha and that we look for dukkha in our lives because certainly we could find it everywhere, you know. We don't go searching for it. But it means that we're sitting there by the curb, 
watching what's going by, and sometimes we really like what we see. And it feels good, and it brings us pleasure, and we stay with that. We, we drink that in, we allow ourselves to have that, we enjoy that. And then when it starts to change, we let it go. And then when the car that comes by is something we really don't like, and sometimes it starts really hurting, and it feels really painful, then we stay with that. And we really stay with that. And we stay with that in such a way that we're not moving from it. The mind isn't moving to find strategies for how we dealt with it in the past and what can we do to make it go away. And It worked last time, but it doesn't seem to be working this time. And, oh, it'll be so much better when this happens, this, ha- this happens. But what about that? Just going fully into it. What kind of still point can we reach then? And it's not a still point that has to do with the mind necessarily being quiet or silence in the mind, or an expanded feeling in the body, a a loving presence in the soul. Um, doesn't have to do with any of that. That only gets us confused and misguided and uh, back on the search, looking again outside. Because we want that feeling back. We want that mind state back. We want that that joy back. But all those conditions of mind, conditions of body, conditions, outer conditions, all that will come and it'll go. Just like the traffic. (laughs) But we stay steady. We rest into it. We rest into it. And when I was on that quest, just going into it and into it, into it, I felt connected to this body, which might say is the earth body. This earth body, because it's exactly the same elements of the earth. It's got air and water and and, and solid material and fire and, and heat and you know, just like out there. And I felt a sense of this earth body in a way that I never have before, and it hasn't gone, it hasn't dissipated. A way of feeling so connected, so part of the earth itself, just as, just as in the nights, <laughs> when the insects started thinking I was part of the earth, <laughs> you know, just, just dissolving right back into it, where there's no difference. And when we start to settle and start to feel and start to rest into that still point in ourselves, there's no not so much sense of difference. Not so much difference between here and there and me and you and this and that and being sick, not being sick. You know, being happy, not being happy. Having difficulties with somebody, not having difficulties with somebody. Because we know where to rest. 
we know where to rest. And it isn't in trying to find out how to change things so things will get better, but it's actually getting out of the way. You know? Getting out of the way. And the more that we get out of the way, there's more possibility for something to start to emerge. Something to emerge that begins to show itself. Not out there, (laughs) not even in here, but even those distinctions start to fall away and there's just that sense of something else that isn't so caught up with the ways that we take ourselves to be, with the thinking, the thoughts, the beliefs, the ideas, that black box, the nine dots. Hmm. The nine dots. What's in between the nine dots? (laughs) You know, we get so fixated on the dots we don't actually look at what's in between. You know, all that space. All that, that where, the, where the dots aren't connected before we start to draw the lines to connect the dots. So possibly we can start to see our, the black box of our mind, kind of just start to see it rather than a solid box, just the, the dots. <laughs> and then things start to loosen up. The mind starts to loosen up. Possibility starts to loosen up. We start to see other options, other ways of being that we could have never imagined because we've let something go. We've let our solid concepts go, our solid beliefs about ourselves, the solid beliefs about our friends or our parents or uh, people that were very close to, things start to shake up. And we have a place to rest back into that isn't continuous. It isn't where we're going to stay all the time because we're not interested in that. Because then we're back into time. We're back into the past and the future. We're only interested in now. This moment. Just this moment. And now this moment. And if we didn't feel into that or know that's that, that point that we're, I'm referring to right now, that still point, la- the last moment, it doesn't matter because it's already gone. And as soon as I start getting caught up with that, I'm lost again. I'm lost in my flurry of desire and longing and wanting and my sense of self and what I want and what I don't have. So forget the last moment. And don't even lean into the next moment. Just be here. Just be here. And then there's always the possibility of coming back into that, into that. 
Because where can that go? Where can that go? It goes when we imagine that we're not there (laughs) because the mind's moving again. And so what a wonderful practice. What a wonderful practice of watching how we get caught into all of our worries and regrets and concerns about the past and all our worries and concerns about the future. And not that that doesn't have a place. Certainly it has a place, because we're not talking about, again, changing any of that or throwing that out, but rather finding a correct or a right relationship to all of that or as the Buddha refers to, the right view. The right view. So that we're viewing things in their right perspective. We know what's what. We know what's what. The thoughts are thoughts, the feelings are feelings, sensations are sensations, sights are sights, and that all comes and goes and comes and goes. But we remain steady in the face of all that. I didn't look at my notes at all. (laughs) Just a couple of quotes that I brought in with me. This is from uh, Ramana Maharshi, who is certainly one of the great teachers in my lineage. He says that, Ramana Maharshi, in case you don't know, was one of the great saints from India in uh, this century. He died in the early part of the uh, 20th century. We're not going to be able to say that pretty soon. It's the next century. It's not good. We're going to be able to say this century. <laughs> he said that all effort is simply to get rid of the mistaken impression that one is limited and bound by the woes of samsara the woes of this life. That all effort is simply to get rid of that mistaken impression that we are bound and limited. It's another one from Angelus Angelus Silesius. I don't know who that is, but it's this quote. And you've heard this, I'm sure. God, whose love and joy are present everywhere, can't come to visit you unless you aren't there. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe that's why Christopher was talking about God last night. You're trying to point to that, you know, so that whatever we imagine God to be can come and visit us, to visit us when we're not there. We're going to be leaving this retreat in a few days, and patterns will come back, you know? It's like, it always seems like a secret that, you know, I'm, I have to tell at the end. You know, like, like you probably will feel irritated again <laughs> with your partner, you know? 
and you're going to get angry with your child, and um, you're going to feel confused and tired and, and irritated, and uh, life is going to get difficult again. And that's why these teachings are so critical. They're so important. The teachings of knowing the non-reactive mind, the mind of the unmoving mind, the equanimous mind. Because when all the conditions come, as they will, inner and outer conditions of life that move and change and shift and come and go, we know where to rest back to. We know where to find our refuge, our sacred place. And it's not out there. It might be, and it can be, and all of that gives great support to us. But support in order for us to find our inner refuge that is available in every moment of our existence. I'll end with this quote from Li Po. You ask me why I make my home in the mountain forest, and I smile, and I'm silent, and even my soul remains quiet. It lives in another world which no one owns. The peach trees blossom, the water flows. Let's sit quietly for a few minutes. May all beings live with wisdom. May all beings live with compassion. May all beings find their true refuge. Thank you for listening. <laughs>